Another episode of Get Real with Casey Kasem is here, and this one features Matt Waldman of Football Guys and the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. Our conversation was awesome and included such topics as the first NFL game he ever went to, what the Rookie Scouting Portfolio is all about, playing music late at night, spending 130 hours in one week watching game film on TiVo, reading to his parakeet about football history, and so much more. Make sure to follow Matt on Twitter at Matt Waldman. You can follow me on Twitter at TheCaseyKasem, as well as the podcast at Get Real underscore pod. This podcast is a proud member of the DAP Network. This episode of Get Real with Casey Kasem is sponsored by my rad patrons on Patreon. You can become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash Casey Kasem. That's K-A-C-E-Y-K-A-S-E-M. Patrons will get access to members-only live streams of some episodes of the show, the ability to leave voicemail questions for upcoming guests, contests, and much more. The Patreon is in the works at the moment, but over the next few months, more content will be dropped. Thank you to everyone who supports the podcast. And now, my chat with Matt Waldman. Hi, how you doing? No. (laughs) How you doing? How are you doing? Uh, Matt Waldman is here, and we're about to have a nice little chat about life in general, but... Before we get started with what you've got going on now, we're going to go back and we're going to talk about just like, Matt, I want to know when you were a child, were you involved in sports, watching it, playing it, or did you, um, what kind of relationship did you have with sports? Um, football was always my first love, Casey. I um, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio for the first 10 years of my life. So, you know, that's a, the Pro Football Hall of Fame is just around the corner um, most of my family were big Cleveland Browns and Ohio State fans. I pretty much grew up um, a fan of both of those teams in the in the early '70s. Played football every single day. That was probably like that was the quick kin to eating vegetables, learning l- learning to read and write, and play football. Um, you, you know, so those were things that I loved to do. I didn't play organized football. Um, because I I was a I was a music student, and when it came time to play in high school, while I played soccer and I wrestled and I did a a, a lot of different sports in little league and then in, in middle school and things like that. Um, when it came time to play football, I kind of had I, it was that decision was put in front of me. Do I um, I wanted to do both, and I was told I can only do one. So uh, I kind of got convinced to do music. And then as I got deeper into doing music, it got to the point that I kept getting put in situations where it was like, well, can I at least maybe join the wrestling team this year? And then it's like, well, if you do that, then you won't be able to join this group here. So I would always <laughs> pick, I'd end up pick always self-selecting music, which yeah. I think worked. I mean, I think worked out on, on the whole um, but I always, I always loved sports. I was a huge football fan, always been that way. Um, and, you know, I was in that generation where video games were, you know, Atari was in the Pong stage and then we watched it go all the way through to, you know, Nintendo. And I was about 15 or 16 when, you know, you started to see that phenomenon of your friends who were like, we're going to go play football out the park or something for the afternoon. And, and you started to see your friends wanting to just spend more time playing Mario than they did <laughs> want to actually um, actually play, um, you know, play a game. Though we were, there were half of us that would kind of yank everybody out of their chairs and say, let's go. Um, so my relationship to it really was more as a fan and a, and a casual 
and a casual athlete more than anything else. Um, so yeah, but always, always love football to the point that I would, I would literally skip school and, and I was a latchkey kid with a single parent. So I would, I would go to the library and want to read about historical football players. And I would literally go to the library in grade school, um, find some books then um i was a strange kid find some books <laughs> and, and and fake that i was sick go come home you know after after my mom left and then come home and read the books out loud about red grange and uh, bronco nagurski and gail sayers and jim taylor to the bewildered parakeet in the house because it's the only it's the only kind of pet we were allowed to have in the in, in the uh was was a bird in the uh in the apartments that we lived in so i would literally do that for a couple of years early on was once i was learning how to read i was i was glomming on to like all the football history i could find that's really cool so you were like well known at the library coming in and you were the kid that was checking out all of those books monster books shark books and uh and football books i would say those were like the three things i really enjoyed that's awesome. Um, do you have any sports memories from any particular game or any particular time that you can remember, uh, like professional college teams that you were watching when you were younger? Oh, without a doubt, because my um, <laughs> my my father moved to Denver when I was young, so the De Cleveland Denver rivalry was a big thing. So I spent summers in Denver hearing about John Elway. And, you know, and seeing all the camps about him and going to Broncos games. Um, so, you know, as a as a kid in the in the mid 80s and really being like at kind of full peak of like in high school, the Browns were good. The Broncos were good. And those three years where basically the Broncos beat the Browns in the AFC championship games, three out of those four years were were memorable, maybe not on the best level, but they were. They were certainly really memorable. But the first game I ever went to was a Cleveland Browns game in old municipal stadium with the rickety girders um, and seeing Don Shula's Dolphins um, lose in overtime to the Cleveland Browns. And that was with like, you know, Bob Greasy and Larry Zonka and Paul Warfield. Um, so, you know, being around, being a fan around that time and just seeing like the stadium kind of, being in a stadium that's kind of swaying with, you know, <laughs> rabid fans, it yeah. was really cool. It kind of got you hooked, even though I'm more introverted uh, that and does extrovert. I, I did enjoy that experience. That really got me hooked as a kid. And when you were a kid, did you have any like sports heroes or anybody that was like your number one favorite guy? Yeah, Ozzie Newsome growing up. I loved Ozzie Newsome. Um, the he all the acrobatic catches that he made. He was so reliable and dynamic. Um, and so he was probably it. And it's funny because he then became it for me from a personnel selection standpoint, um, even though it tended to be with the Ravens, which is kind of my closeted team that I <laughs> that I enjoy. Um, you know, that I'm not so much. I'm not so much closeted on as a fan of the Ravens anymore. I think pretty much everyone knows I'm a conflicted Browns Ravens fan. Um, so that's <laughs> what right, it does. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I might have to start doing that with the Cowboys and somebody, but you know, <laughs> we'll take our time. That's right. um, okay. So 
how did you find out about fantasy football? Were you interested in that kind of like numbers stuff or what was exactly that pulled you into fantasy football? Well, I worked at a way station for Lost Souls, otherwise known as a call center when I was in, in college. <laughs> and so I, you know, we I worked for a company that sold children's books, like Little Golden Books and the Sesame Street books and Stephen King's books and all sorts of different things like that. And And a lot of the, they had branches around the country. This was one of the oldest telemarketers around. And they they often hired and promoted from within. So they had a lot, they had a good business model of getting college students to supervise, um, you know, and they could pay them a low salary, but still get decent quality of work out of them. So I was one of those who, who eventually wound up, you know, working in this call center. And so all of us were around the same age. We're in our early to mid twenties, early thirties. And we were all football fans because we lived in Athens, Georgia. And, you know, if you go to school at the University of Georgia, you're pretty much a football fan there. You're rarely, if not, um, it's kind of like growing up in Dallas and not being a, being a football fan. If you live in the South and you don't like football, it, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. You're just, you're just very different from the norm um, in terms of where that goes. But I would say they they were doing football pools and then they started doing a football league and they invited me to play and ironically you know some of them wrote some of them eventually wrote for like kffl the um old site that did all the new stuff mm -hmm. they, they were doing that um and they invited me one year and i literally just like blew off the draft not knowing anything yeah. really about it so my first year was really my second year my <laughs> first year i stood up our league which is kind of the irony now because like that that was such a bad thing to do and i just i just completely forgot about it and then the, after the second you know the second year that i joined um, yeah, I was completely hooked at that point. And it was really, I was, I mean, I looked at numbers and I liked examining numbers, but it was, it was never really at that strong of a level, the, the numbers part for me, it was more just, I had spent so much time watching the game that I found that I was, I was, I kind of had more of a natural inclination towards what players did as mm -hmm. opposed to what the numbers said, even though I kind of started in this industry looking at the numbers and then kind of made my way towards what I was more naturally inclined to wanting to build up and then worked really hard in that area. And I mean, yeah, so you worked really hard to build up to, to what, you know, all the stuff that you're putting out now, it's just amazing content. How, when you started playing fantasy football, I'm sure there was a time where you decided that you were going to put out content. How did that start? Well, I, I, I was, I wanted to write. And so where when I was at this way station for Lost Souls, it was because I had transferred schools after being um, an aspiring jazz musician and realized that probably I wasn't going to be uh, I wasn't going to be playing music for a living at that point. I knew that, you know, being being a good, you know, public school student in music was different than coming to school at the University of Miami where the only thing better than the football team in the late 80s was that pro was that jazz program where basically I would be competing with people who um, for just classroom spots who would come off gigs with like major recording artists 
and I'm competing with them and I was in way over my head. It was kind of like a, it was like kind of being a seven on seven flag football star um, going to the U and trying to compete for a linebacker spot with Ray Lewis or a running back spot with Edron James. It was like, it was ridiculous. So I, you know, I got better and, and I've, and I've gotten back to playing and enjoy it. And we'll probably be gigging in the next few years anyway, but, and I played some gigs back then, but I realized that that wasn't, um, that that wasn't going to be my future for me to be able to make a living doing this. And it made more sense to get into something else. And I found that I enjoyed writing and I, and I went to university of Georgia's journalism school, but I only stayed there for about a quarter after kind of, getting started and everything that I was told is a everything I was told as a writer within about a month or two by um, someone who actually became my mentor about 10 years later um, was what I wanted to hear as a musician. But I, I rejected it because I was an immature kid who had a <laughs> lot to grow. I had a lot of growth to do. I had a lot of knots to untie. They were things that I just, you know, I was a people pleaser who had been raised in such a way and had learned lessons in such a way that had nothing to do with how I was raised that just needed to, you know, I needed to grow up and learn. And so I, you know, I had a, a Sports Illustrated staff writer tell me you could go very far doing what you want to do in this. And I had been doing it all of two months um, and it pissed me off because I was like, I was still mourning wanting to play music, but mm -hmm. over the years I started to play, started to write a little bit more. And I thought this would be a fun avenue to, to do because I knew that I wasn't going to be able to just quit my job. I had a house. I had built this career that was a full-time career out of this part-time job that I had no intention of building a career with, but it was like, it kept me in Athens. It kept me from having to like pursue serious things. It allowed me to kind of, really focus more on myself and look inward and develop some life tools that I needed to learn. And I think that, you know, in hindsight, I look at that from the positive standpoint, but it was really me treading water to do that and make something positive out of it. And so the fantasy football thing, I, I, I did a, you know, I was doing more freelance writing before I did fantasy. Then I did a, a freelance piece at football guys and David Dodds liked it and published it and said, if you want to do more anytime, let me know. I said, no, thanks. Went about my business for a couple more years and then realized that I really did want to do this. And I started writing for my, um, what I thought was going to be my own site, making mock drafts. Like I was, I had a friend who did more um, IT oriented, IS oriented stuff in our company. And I thought I had this idea for like a mock draft engine where you can mock draft against the, the AI of the, of, of that, which was a new concept at that time, but obviously very well established. And so I thought I had to write a, I thought maybe I need to write content for a site and started going to sites. So I'd written all this content and um, in a league that I was in Mike McGregor of draft buddy and um, dynasty league football and FF today, who is really an innovator in a lot of the space that people don't know about. Mike and I were in a league together and he goes, I like how you, express yourself about players when we're always negotiating trades. Have you ever thought about writing anything? And I was like, I actually have like three or four articles already done. I have this column that's not published, but it was going to be on my site called the gut check. And I did these pieces on guys like Brian Westbrook, Frank Gore and Larry Fitzgerald. I think those were like, and Brandon Lloyd. I think those were three or four of my first 
articles on these guys <laughs> and and that became a column and i'm still writing it now 20 <laughs> years later uh, so that's kind of how it, it got started was mike was like these are good do you want do you mind me publishing them and i was like yeah and then they were like do you want to write for us regularly and it just kind of took off from there and when was that when you started uh, all of the writing yeah two, 2003 so yeah so we were i got in at the right time you yes. know you know yeah like you the bob, you know <laughs> i do bob, know yeah based on when i yeah when i talk to people on here always that's like that magic time to get it that you get yeah. it yeah just before the internet really got huge mm -hmm. but it was it was there and just as advertising dollars were getting good enough that people were looking for more so i wasn't like the first generation but yeah. i was like that that mid second, you know, maybe that second generation of folks like Bob Harris is like the first generation. And I would see Bob's work. And when I first started getting serious about trying to be better as a fantasy player, because I, we started to get good competition in our league from people who were, you know, connected and, and doing these news wires and things like that. And so I would read Bob's work and thought that's kind of what I'd like to be doing, you know? So mm -hmm. it, it's kind of funny, you know, for me, I remember geeking out over getting the chance to do work with Bob Harris um, back in the day. And now, you know, now Bob, Bob and I get to do projects together and it's fun. Yeah, that is awesome. And it's cool how the community and how it's a job and people are working, you know, but you're also not competing against each other. You're friends. You can, you can do that. And it's really cool to see that he was somebody that you were looking at, like, Hey, I want to do that. And then, that's a cool story. I like that. I like that because a lot of stories about people, they're like, oh, I met on Twitter or whatever. But like you joined Twitter in 2008 and there wasn't really a huge fantasy football presence on there at that time because that's about the time I joined. And so um, I know after interviewing a bunch of people on here, they say, oh, well, I just got Twitter like two or three years ago because I heard or during the pandemic because I heard that's where all the fantasy football knowledge is. So um, when when Twitter became that kind of space um, and it, did you ever think that there'd be like a platform or something out there that would grow like that with content? No, I mean, I'm, it was funny cause I was at that point, I was working at the university of Georgia at their business school and their marketing department as a, as an editor doing website and, and magazine work. And I was basically a magazine features writer and associate editor for their ma magazine. It came out a few times a year. And, and one of our managers was talking about Twitter and how powerful of a tool it was from a political standpoint when mm -hmm. they had like the, um, I don't think I'm going to say it right, but I think it was the Arab spring, um, you know, where there were, um, there were groups of people protesting um, governments and things going on in like, um, I believe in Morocco and in Egypt, and they were talking about the difference that this made to be able to coordinate protests and mm. communicate. And so I joined it thinking, okay, well, I should know about it. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. And occasionally I would post some things and then I gave it up for a little while. And then in about 2011, was probably around the time that I said, okay, I need to get a little more serious about with this because it's we're starting to get beat writers showing mm -hmm. up. And 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 for me, what I didn't anticipate is that Twitter would become one a huge source of readers for me. Um and two, something that unlike a lot of people who have a love-hate with it, something that I really love. Mm -hmm. Um 
I, I really love it. And I think it's about how you use it and the audience you cultivate and how you moderate your settings so that you can make the most of it. Um, and, and so for me, it's a, it's a fan, it's been a fantastic resource and I know there's a lot of troubles with it and I understand why both the good and the bad and both from the standpoint of what the platforms like and what people natural tendencies can be like. Cause if you have a huge ego, Twitter will fuck you over in a heartbeat. <laughs> I mean, they, they, yep. they, yeah, yes. they will knock you down. They will knock you down very quickly. Um, and if you're someone that's like also very opinionated, but opinionated in the in the way of like it's my way or you're an idiot, they will they will hold the mirror right back up to you and make sure that you feel like an idiot <laughs> at every stage. And so you kind of have to learn how to roll with the punches a little bit and and not take the bait and and do that. But it's I had no idea it would do what it did, but I I'll just say, Casey, that it's um it, it feels like the older I get, I always feel like I have no idea what's coming next. And I'm just hoping to, I'm hoping to be able to keep my, um, my mind open to the idea of whatever's new so that I won't maybe be an early adopter. And sometimes I've lucked into that, but I can at least, um, be start to be learn more and enough about it to recognize its value. Like I've just started doing TikTok this year and, you know, I know people were doing it earlier and, you know, the first part of my wanted to be to go, you know, I'm older and think this is stupid, you know, and now, but I, I resisted that urge to kind of look at it and say, well, let's just see how this goes. And maybe I, maybe it's just me reacting in a, in a, in a silly way. And it was, and, and so then, you know, it's been, it's been a lot of fun to do. Yeah, I've, I've been intrigued by TikTok because I've had a few people come on here that do like fantasy, a lot of fantasy stuff on TikTok and, and I've put a few on there myself, but I do, I, I go into it like, oh, I'm just this old person who doesn't know, like, I feel like it's dancing and all this other stuff. So yeah. uh, <laughs> you won't see me dancing, that's for <laughs> no sure. dancing? but I love, but I love doing, I love being able to pick out all sorts of tunes yeah. and use clips of that and play it in the background, even though most people aren't even pay attention into what the song is and don't care, but it's a fun little element for me to go, what kind of, because I don't know about you, but if you love music, it's fun to, I think about things like it would be when I retire, I would love to be able to like have like a room where I just play music, but like have like visual stuff going on with it. And I like oh. a lot of music that doesn't have lyrics. Um, mm -hmm. Doesn't mean I hate lyrics. I love lyrics, but I love a lot of music that's improvised and has, doesn't have lyrics. So when I listen to something, I often imagine visual things. So it would be fun to like have, you know, listening to something and, and to be able to have something beautiful from nature or something else that's playing and just kind of chill and, and have a room to kind of chill and see that projected on a screen while I'm just laying around listening to tunes. So it, when I think of music, oftentimes I also think of like, um, when I'm watching football, I think of music along with that too. And, and there's like, there's a great thing on Instagram where there's this like, there's this um site called uh or uh a user called jazz isaac and i think he's from like from a i want to say they're denmark or sweden and or norway one of the nordic countries where he like takes like old bebop tunes and free jazz stuff 
and he sets it to like real life things and it's usually funny <laughs> shit like yeah. somebody drunk and falling off a boat or you know or somebody doing something and the and but they find the perfect like passage or phrase that really matches well with that moment kind of in the same way that you see people on twitter take film moments and and make their own caption with it and mm -hmm. it's something completely different from the moment they do that musically so you know i that part of tiktok i kind of enjoy is setting my own music to to things that i hear or see that's yeah i i like that the music because i really do like music probably not as like intense as you but i do like it and i think that um and that's really cool when i, I Somebody needs to like soundtrack the NFL games for me, like make a playlist so we we can go with it. I mean, the NFL. I lived for the NFL, old NFL films when I yeah. was a kid. We go to those soundtracks. Mm. Yeah, they were fantastic, you know. And I can still hear some of those. Like you think about the Raiders and some of the when I think of the Oakland Raiders or the Las Vegas Raiders now, it, you know, I still hear you know i still hear some of the soundtrack stuff in my head when i think of them um just because yeah. they played it so much i mean that is like the nfl's perfect propaganda machine was when they when they did nfl films with those with those things and everyone my era you know when you got reined in at a sports camp or the, or a or a, an away camp and they had nothing to do with a bunch of rambunctious kids my age you know, especially a boys camp it was, at that time in the 70s. It was like they play old, they'd find old NFL films and they would show them on the on the projector reels. Actually, they'd get them reel to reel <laughs> nice. and they would like show those. And I remember I was hoping it would rain, um, you know, some of those some of those times because I got to see things like that. That's so cool. Yeah. I never got to experience anything like that going to camp or doing any of that stuff. So. Get to live vicariously through people like you but yeah the film uh, okay so film is important to you i know uh, obviously uh, if you guys don't know film is important to him he'll tell us why in a second but uh, <laughs> no um speaking of twitter though you reached out to me on twitter after i was inquiring about uh the rookie scouting portfolio kind of like you had posted something i don't know i kind of was intrigued by it and you 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 hit me up on twitter to you know to send me what it was and and tell me what you know kind of go over it and let me look at it and you know get my my paws on that um but it was really cool to see something that like i had never seen before anything like this um so can you tell everybody first uh exactly what the rookie scouting portfolio is and how you came across that idea sure you know the the rookie scouting portfolio is a draft guide that's really specified for the offensive skill positions quarterback running back wide receiver and tight end and it's a two-part publication and i do a pre-draft and a post-draft guide and it's it's really rooted in as my career moved on in this way station for lost souls that i joke about it moved on into the inbound call center sector and i was a director at this larger corporation where I had to, I did operations management for a while where I ran facilities with about 2,500 to 3,000 hours a week worth of employees for, um, you know, recruiting, training, management development, um, you know, client relations type of work, quality control work, all kind of wrapped into one thing. And then over time, I, I was asked to do work in their, um, in their quality management sector corporate wise and so I, and then i got trained in a um i got trained in a best practices certification course that took about a week week i think it was about a week long 
where they they paid to have me go there to get certified to help kind of learn concepts for operations management and quality management. One of those things was mon monitoring and evaluating um, employee performance. And so they looked at best practices for how you create ways to to evaluate, you know, and that came down to the types of questions you need to ask, how those questions need to be formatted, um, how you grade those things so that you reduce variation on something that's a very subjective seeming process. It's kind of like if you, it sounds like a simple process, but you think about answering the phone and you put 10 people in a room with varying levels of experience and say, how do you want this person to answer the phone for your business? And you could come up with eight to 10 different answers and maybe three or four of them are perfectly correct or fine, but depends on what you want to do. So it's different. So what I was learning and applying towards a 70 branch company with 10,000 employees and, 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 and applying across branches and putting things together with databases and, and, um, you know, all these different formats for how they, what they should be looking at and how it should be scored and learning these practices. I, you know, I was a fantasy football fan and a football fan and, and thinking, and reading Gil Brandt talk about Brian Westbrook and thinking, you know, I understand what they're doing organizationally and why they grade players the way they do, but I'd like to grade it outside of like the politics and the draft capital stuff. I want to like learn the film. And this process was built on learning how to, um, learning how to learn and learning how to continue to develop and consistently improve your process. And so, I applied that process to the R, what's now the RSP. And so it's filled with all my work. So what you get to see is me taking you through the process of how I have players ranked um, in the, all the different facets in which I do, how I define all the criteria points of what I look for. So it's both like a draft guide, a fantasy guide, because I always still keep the fantasy part in there to give people an understanding of, you know, how this guy can have an impact in fantasy, but also um, show you from a, from a quality standpoint what the process is so that you could do it yourself if you were crazy enough and had the time to want to watch that much film as much as what I've learned to do. But I've built on this over 17 years. Um, it is both, you know, a, a very popular dynasty resource nowadays. And it's also, um, along with Dane Brugler's guide, at least according to guys like Alex Brown at SMU, who's a, a director of recruiting there, it's also one of the two most looked at um, NFL cross-checking resources available um, as well. So it's got, it's bled into real football in, in that regard. And I've certainly had people at different um, major colleges and in the pro game reach out to me and and talk about that they do use it and have learned things from it. So it's a, it's probably my fantasy football kind of thing that I'm most proud of is to have um, the actual league have people embrace it um, mm -hmm. and know that they've used it, use it, like it. And so it what you get is like the pre-draft gives you rankings. It takes you through, you know, who's on overrated, underrated. Um, it gives you all the different criteria. So you know exactly why if I say I like Nick Chubb better than Saquon Barkley, you might look and go, well, that's crazy. But then you may look at everything and see, well, I see the logic behind it, even if I don't agree with it. And then the post-draft, I, I do things where I give you a cheat sheet that, um, that it gives you kind of a sweet spot between 
where I rank them and where ADP is. And I look at different ADPs and kind of help you see that, well, I may like Nick Chubb better than Saquon Barkley. We got drafted in the second round. He's on a bad Browns team. They still have Jamal Lewis or whoever they had at that time. They didn't have Jamal Lewis, but you know, they had somebody else at that time. And and I or Carlos Hyde, that was it. Carlos Hyde. Oh, yeah. And thinking <laughs> and thinking and thinking, well, you're not I may think he's the number one running back for uh, um on the board talent wise, but you can get him at the end of the second round and make sure and you'll know that you really got him because no one's gonna pick him till the third, mm-hmm. but you're still getting him at a value relative to what he could wind up being. So I do things like that. And then I update people with a newsletter. I also do projections these days too um, for for dynasty leagues and sell those. But that's what the RSP is really known as. It's it's just really detailed. People think, I mean, it's 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 gotten to a point where, you know, what you see is it's on a PDF and it's, you know, it's shorter than it used to be. Let's say it's it's more about 1,100 to 1,300 pages because I document everything I do. Uh-huh. But the things that most people will read is somewhere about three to three, about two to 300 pages worth. So how many players do you know how many players you have mapped out in there? Yeah, there's always at least 150. Um, and then <laughs> I, and then that's the minimum and the maximum is usually about 175. So that's, that's at those positions. So I go really deep with players and that gives you an opportunity. I think what people find like about it is that when big media says, who is this guy? I've never heard of Dion Jackson who, you know, they, they can look up in the RSP and go, well, Matt didn't have him rated highly, but he explained that he could catch the football. He'd be a good gap runner, which fits well with what the Colts do. Um, you know, and so if they were looking to pick somebody up, they'd know whether they'd have a better idea of whether he's a good fit or not for what's going on and whether and what his upside might be. And that helps for the waiver wire in addition to whether I make good calls or not with, you know, in rookie drafts. That's where people find the value, I think, long term is that two to three years from now, it has that shelf life for them to say, I can use this in my redraft leagues in addition to to my dynasty formats. And so can people get like previous year's copies as well? They can. I, I sell up, I sell them for half price um, and they get them at my site, mattwallman.com. And they can I sell them for nine ninety five a year later from when it came out. the The book's right now twenty one ninety five, um, and that that's the pre draft and post draft together with the newsletter. And then the next year, you know, when once I come out with a pre sale for the for the next year's book, I make the other one available for nine ninety five. So people buy those. I, I I you know I it's not like a huge market compared to what each year's is, but I'm. Uh, it's it's interesting to see them. People who buy it tend to go back and buy past ones too. So. Yeah, I was thinking about that today when I was like, "Hey, I wonder," you know, like, because yeah, awesome though. Um, so when you look at all this film, first of all, how did you decide that you were gonna watch as much film as you watch and um, do as much as you do? I <laughs> was. It is a lot and it's, and I'm glad I'm not doing it as much as I did before, because before I used to write down everything that I saw, it was like a big game of I spy because Mm -hmm. I was learning how to build out my process and learning the game at a different level than what I knew. I mean, I thought I knew football 
And then I realized I was a complete football idiot before I started all this and it took a long time. And now I just know that I'm a lot more about what I don't know, but it's, um, but the, the thing that's, that I did is around 2005, I realized that I wanted to try scouting because I thought this was an angle that wasn't really being done. I thought I had a good, uh, a good process for it. And it turned out that uh, that worked out, but I remember I'm going to do this for a year. So I, I got a TiVo at that time and, you know, went to Best Buy, got myself a TiVo, hooked that onto my, um, my, my office at home and just started recording game after game after game and realized that, and then I started watching tape, but I hadn't figured out a process yet. Maybe about a year before I started doing that. And I had a little notebook and I was sitting there like writing it down. And I'm yeah. like, I remember watching Steven Jackson. I joke that I, I remember watching Steven Jackson with my cat on my lap and with, with something to drink. And I'm watching him against Colorado, I think. And next thing I remember, I woke up and Stephen, the game was in the fourth end of the fourth quarter. Jackson had a huge day. I had slept through the entire thing. <laughs> my cat was on my chest. The notebook was on the floor, you know, and I was like, well, this isn't going to work like that. Like, I'm going to have to be very system systematic. And then when I ran into this, realized that I could pair what I was doing at work with what I could do with this, I, I started um recording a lot and then i fell behind and really didn't do it because i didn't know what it was going to take so around march of 2006 i thought well if i'm going to do this and put this book out in april i need to be done by april 1st and i need to get away from the family and i need to spend like a week just locked up watching films so um, a friend of the family was a hotel manager in Athens at a place near downtown. I brought my desktop, a, a book, just to, I don't know why, a, a novel, a desktop, and, and my TV. And literally, we took those, put them in the hotel room, and I spent a week doing nothing but watching YouTube clips of all the, not YouTube clips, um, TiVo discs that I had recorded, like a whole suitcase full of them. And I've spent, I logged how long I, I worked. I worked about almost 130 hours that week. And I and I thought, I'm either going to hate this and just never do this again, or I'm going to be in love with it. And I fell in love with it. And and so it, it took off from there in terms of, you know, it was a, you know, it's nowhere near what it is today in terms of the quality of the work. But I realized that I loved watching the game and studying it and just learning about it. And, you know, I'm at the time when I first started, I mean, I probably made, I probably made enough to, um, I probably made enough to like have a nice meal somewhere with a date for the first couple years I did it. And the first three years I did it, maybe I could have bought a beater of a car. Um, it, you know, that probably wouldn't have lasted me very long without any type of mechanical knowledge and, and access to cheap parts. Um, but, but it was, but I had a feeling it was something that I, I, I liked it and it, and it felt, and I was seeing that there were things I was seeing about players that I wasn't hearing about in the media, 
like players and, and like I remember there's a guy by the name of Mike Bell who played for Arizona who was a running back for the Broncos who started his first year under Mike Shanahan and I had him rated I think either in my top five to seven backs and I thought he could be a starter and when he didn't get drafted I thought well what do I know I mean come on I'm just this is my first year doing this I don't even you know I'm not a scout I don't know what I'm doing I'm just trying to figure this out and he and he started and I thought okay maybe and some of the things i saw was some of the things that they were talking about that were good and i thought okay well maybe i'm heading on the right track here i've got a lot to learn but there were moments like that that kind of kept me going through it and and started to realize or players that i didn't like that everyone thought was like awesome and i'm like yeah he's okay but he's not he's not that great you know or there <laughs> were the there were things that maybe he's getting more buzz than maybe he then then maybe he deserves at this point then he's got more things to learn and the combination of those things were helpful and certainly i still have my share of misses today everyone does but it's um but it's it was those things that kind of got me thinking it reinforced that i liked it and that it was and that i was heading in a direction that was positive to get that out there to people how did you go about getting more eyes on it luck <laughs> and, and, and help and a lot of help a lot of help and, um, a lot of luck. and, right. and good timing i mean okay. i think i think one was ff today um with mike kruger and mike mike mcgregor and you know give a lot of credit to mike mcgregor in the sense that he thought it was a very valuable thing and mike kruger was willing to take a chance on selling it there um and while it was not a big seller grew organically it had a popular following the people who liked it loved it um and and so that kind of built and then when i moved on to football guys it had developed a following there because i had at that time cecil lammy and sigmund bloom were doing the audible i was one of their early guests we all kind of clicked well there and we were all draft nicks. You know, they used to go to the senior bowl. They had a site called Draft Guys TV that if they had come out with it maybe three years later, it would have been huge. But they were just mm. they, their timing was just a bit too early on YouTube to technology-wise and access to and all the logistics and what they had to do. Um, but they were ahead of their time with that. Um, and so we all kind of vibed over the uh over the NFL draft, and then I eventually got on with them and they liked the idea of me being on their Thursday show. So we were, we, we were a team for a long time on, on the audible and football. And I joined, had joined football guys and they were, they were having me sell the RSP. Um, so I got in front of their audience and obviously they have a big newsletter that's very popular even to this day. So that them promoting it to their audience um, got, me a lot of subscribers twitter got me a lot of subscribers because around the same time that that was happening i was starting to develop a presence on twitter and then when i started to go out on my own with it in 2011 when they had the um the potential the first lockout that we've had over the past 10 years that there was a potential for one um it it you know became clear that i was going to have to you know do this kind of on my own and I started my own site and really got more, got serious about doing Twitter daily and trying to provide content with my own site. 
And that's when it really started to grow. And then I had really big growth year after year with that to the point that um, it worked out. But I'm still, you know, I'm still a small character in the scheme of this. You know, you look at someone like Dane at The Athletic who has, you know, when you have a, when you have a site that's a major media site, whether it's CBS, ESPN, NFL, anything with three letters, you know, three or four letters and a .com after it, you're going to get all that exposure. Um, so part, you know, I got a little bit of that because I worked at Football Outsiders um, around that time as well. And they had me do stuff with, at that time, Doug Farrar had left and Doug recommended me for doing his column. But they also had this guy, Andy Benoit, who wrote at SI and, and Aaron had said, well, Andy can do this piece with the NFL work. You could do both. You could do this, but you could also do this draft thing. We haven't really had anybody do any draft work before or film work. And we thought it might be a nice change of pace to what we do. How would you feel about that? And it seemed like a perfect fit to me. Like, I love the idea ego-wise to follow Doug in Doug's footsteps <laughs> and, you know, and thought, well, I feel like I'm kind of getting punished for, you know, that Andy can do one, but Andy's, you know, obviously Andy is, is a very accomplished person in the space. And so, you know, when he was, and I didn't say anything, I was just thinking out loud about it, you know, cause we all have our pettiness about stuff, even if it's a, if it's a good space. And I thought, well, I feel like I'm kind of not getting the shot of the thing I wanted, but then they're giving me what it is that I really need, which is exposure for me to advertise what it is that I really want to do. Do I really mm -hmm. want to be, try and be a sports illustrated writer or do I want to have my own thing covering the draft? And I thought, what the fuck's wrong with you? I mean, this is all going out in my head <laughs> for like two minutes. You know, I never really said that out loud to anybody, but I mean, I think it's important to share that because every, you know, we all come on here and we want to present our best selves and we want to talk about, you know, this nice, neat package of how we are, but to be vulnerable, you know, when you're new and I notice with a lot of new writers and I get a chance to be fortunate to work with new folks, I think it's fun to be real with folks and say, yeah, I mean, I get jealous of this or I feel petty about that or I worry mm -hmm. about these things. It's a natural human emotion, but you just have to learn how to do it in a way where you just you, you realize that some things you just leave to yourself and you don't you don't act out on it because we all have those thoughts and feelings and and you just kind of you figure out the best way to channel it. And and sometimes part of it is going I've been given what I needed, not necessarily what I wanted. And if I took, if I demanded what I wanted, I probably wouldn't have gotten what I needed. And giving advice to people that are wanting to either be a part of the industry or people that are, you know, they're kind of on the fence about it. They're not sure because they're either anxious, scared, you know, there's lots of different emotions, happy, um, but there's a lot of different emotions that come with writing, um, podcasting, putting out content. Um, was there anything that you wish that you would have known prior to getting involved in the industry? Yeah, I think that um, probably I wish that right now I would say I wish that I could, I don't have a lot of like, I wish I did it differently. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, it, it, there's a lot of things in life I wish I did differently, but I'm happy that it went the way it did. Mm -hmm. I've been really fortunate that there's a lot of things that I could have wound up wishing I did differently that actually worked out 
because I made the the right choice and they were hard. But I would say at this stage, there were things that I probably would say is that um, having a better understanding of SEO, having a better understanding of um, using algorithms from a video standpoint i mean i've had a youtube channel for a long time and it and it's and it's a good channel and it, and i have a good number of subscribers but um probably a little bit more from that end or man you know for me it's more about business management of a small website from a content perspective um i would definitely i would just say um maybe not have so much angst about maybe not the one thing i'd say is not have so much angst about following what i want to do um and because at the end of the day casey i think that ev- there's a space for everybody in this if you are willing to do the work and persevere and perseverance is a big part of it and sometimes you the the perseverance part is the test to say whether it's worthwhile for you to do you know mm-hmm. some people say they want to get into this but they have a spouse who didn't sign up for that when yeah. you got started? <laughs> yeah. You know they they didn't sign up for this, and and they're justified in their feeling with that. Um, if especially if they were with you when you weren't had this wasn't even a thought in your mind, or it was, but you didn't give it serious enough thought to have this conversation when you and that that significant other got together. Um, so there's that, but also I think it's understanding that you don't have to be, you know, you, if you're going to do TikTok. You don't have to be the person that looks like they're reading into a screen, just reading lists or dancing to get what you want. I mean, and I'm not saying that's bad, but if you look at it and go, that's not me, yeah. like th- that's not me. You, if you, your audience is good enough. You don't have to have a huge audience. You have to have an audience that loves what you do and feeds back into that and wants to support what that is. And I would, and my, my thing is not having the angst about that because I find that my audience as someone who did customer service for a long time and trained people on customer service, I would have paid tens of thousands of dollars to have the audience I have now um, because I can completely fuck up something in my newsletter. And I'm not talking like I picked the wrong player, but like giving a password out to get access to something after I've like, spend an entire month of work that I'm my mind's completely blown now I've got to write the newsletter and put it out and I bled over from one line to the next the password and they can't find that one character so when they copy to paste it in they're missing one character mm-hmm. and 250 people who didn't figure that out out of the, the number that are subscribing email me in the span of like four hours now you know you could imagine like people being pissed off about this, especially if it's in August and they're trying to get their things. And I'm telling you, Casey, I get people who are like, I'm so sorry for disturbing you. (laughs) I'm like, you know, I really like your work. Thank you for doing this, but I can't get in. Can you help me out? It's like, we even joke about stuff because I go, if you people skim stuff and I go, if you miss this and you don't get on here and you write me and you and it finds out and we come to find out that you skimmed this, you owe me a meal and a beer. So like the joke every month <laughs> is like, so I'm up to like a week's worth of like meals right now, you know, and we, we have fun with it. But the point being is, is that if you build the right audience, I mean, after all the work that I do to get ready for it, the fact that my audience understands that 
and that if I fuck up on something administrative like this level or pro or production level to get it out, that they're like literally just kind to me about it is just I I, I love that so much, and I would say that's more important than having raw big numbers, mm -hmm. you know. And we all want that. We all love the idea of having big numbers because that means that you're going to have more opportunities. Maybe you'll get more money. Maybe you'll get more, you know, whatever it is. But, but really what I think what I've learned is what I want is I want raving fans. I want people who go, I'd pay more for this. Mm -hmm. I look forward to this every year. I love what you do. And, and those people tend to be, they, they know that it's, that's worth it to them. And because, and the other thing I would say is that if you're a business owner, price points important because, you know, you want to make enough mm -hmm. to be able to, to be able to make a living or eventually work towards that happening. But think about what your product is and what it looks like. And my product looks like, um, I remember people going, well, maybe you want to have pictures or maybe you want to have art. Maybe you want to do these things. And I'm going... If I did it, it would look like me sending my daughter to go to glamour shots at a Walmart or at a mall, <laughs> and it would look bad, like when with the for what the expectation is, yeah. you know. If you're, you know, and and I'm not doing that. I want it to look like basic stuff. It's gonna look. It's black and white. It's no pictures. It's just. It looks like something you'd find in a desk drawer at an office, you know. And it, mm -hmm. but. The point being is that if I had charged, when I have people say, I'd charge, I'd pay a hundred dollars for this. I'd pay $50 for this. You should charge more. I hear that all the time. But the point of the matter is, is yeah, I'll continue to raise the price over time with the cost of living and things yeah. and the more work that I do. But if I charged a hundred dollars right now, it, the customer will think that they own you. And that's not meaning in a mean way. It sounds mean to say that, but they have higher expectations, mm -hmm. you know? So yeah. when they notice a, a a spelling error or a grammatical error of a 300 word document that you have to write in a month and have a team of seven editors doing, they may understand it when they pay $21.95 for it. Um, but if they're paying five times as much for that, they want everything perfect and they want you to be responsive right away um, as opposed to within 24 hours and they want you to be 100% right. Even if that real, that expectation isn't realistic. <laughs> sounds, and, yep. That sounds true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you pay more money. You want, you want the, you want the first class treatment. What I would rather have is people go, it's worth first class money, but they're not giving me that. So they're not, he's not charging me that. So mm -hmm. I get it. Like there's a trade-off I have, you, you know, Customers are easier on me on regards to just, you know, the expectation of how it looks when things are delivered, if I have to make changes um, and they get it, they have the, mm -hmm. it gives them the proper perspective. So if you price your product out of perspective, then you're going to have people with expectations out of perspective. If you find the right price point, people value it. They value your time. They value what the whole thing is. Makes sense. So that's why I don't charge for this podcast, so I don't have to edit. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither when I do mine. And when I like today, there you go. <laughs> when I had Lori Fitzpa um, Fitzpatrick on today, and I go, welcome to the RSP cast. It's me and Lori Fitzgerald. 
and and she looks at me horrified because I have a really good friend whose last name is Fitzgerald, and I'm wondering like why the fuck is she looking at me like that? And then that and then I go back to listen to it, and I was like, oh Lori, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I'm going to just edit this out before we get started today. And she goes, yeah, I didn't know what to say, and I said, tell me to shut up. And like I I, I had a I had an old man moment, and we'll do this over again. But I mean, it's like it's stuff like that. I I'm with you. Well, okay, so you brought up. Um, the RSP, like the film room that you have with your YouTube channel and all the fun stuff that you have going on over there. Um, I really enjoy the fill it or fuck it. That's a nice, <laughs> that's a nice one. Um, who came you. up with that? That was me. Um, I wanted <laughs> Bob and I have these conversations like this about life in general. Um, and when, when we hang out and talk, we don't really talk about football very much. We just talk about all sorts of other things. And I just thought it would be fun to get that side of Bob out on air um a little bit more because usually we'll be talking and i'll answer the phone he's like hey fucker what's going on with you and then we'll talk and we'll <laughs> yeah. we'll we'll do our thing and then he'll be like love you bye and then hang up you know we kind of that's kind of our our tagline when we say goodbye so i just thought this would be fun to have bob and i where we we're on a lot of shows where we can't curse yeah where we just do it and we also are talkers, obviously. I mean, here we are, and I'm 55 minutes in. And I'm sure that I'm running long, but no, the, you're, not. you're good. But, <laughs> you're running short. So. <laughs> but 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 Bob and I, you know, it would be fun to go against type, where or to get Bob to enforce that I shut the fuck up and just get to the point about something. And so that's what <laughs> that, and I had to kind of push him to do it a little bit and go. He goes, I'm just afraid that if I let the monster out, he'll never come back in. And and I said, well, let's test that and see, you know. Um, and then he was like, well, you know, if I get fired, I'm living with you. I just got, you know, I just need you to know that. Um, but, you know, we had a good we've had a good time with it and we've got a lot of good feedback. So I'm I'm glad to hear you like it. Mm -hmm. it, it, it is a fun, quick show to do. And and if Bob wasn't going to do it, I have an old friend who was uh, who who no longer writes. But he used to be a part of my site by the name of Eric Stoner. And if, if anybody listening who used to be, who follows my site knows Eric, Eric was also on board for doing feel it or fuck it if I needed to. But <laughs> I'd probably have to call him from the convenience store that he owns to to have him do it in, in the middle of L.A. I don't think that oh, would have yeah, been good. Well, he, he could probably put a customer on there. And yeah, he would probably, be, you know, he'd probably say more than that. So, you know, there we go. What else do you have over there on that YouTube? I know that there's a I wrote down. 676 videos i believe that's correct so what all do you have over there well i mean i've been doing this for a while so i started with the rsp film room which were long form videos where i would break down video um break down football players um usually nfl draft prospects with other writers and i kind of networked with other writers and football players that way that included stuff with like former players like ryan riddle who used to be a writer at bleacher report who also played for cal with and holds their single season sack holder record along and he played along with Aaron Rodgers and Marshawn Lynch on those teams. And he played in the league for a little bit or with Jamal Williams, um, his, his, um, his trainer asked me to do a show with him. Um, so I got to do one pre-draft with him and we watched some of his tape and um, often with a lot of NFL writers for the most part. And then I started just doing them solo. And then I do things called the boiler room, which is more short room, short, form videos where I examine one or two aspects of a player's game in three to four plays. Um, so the, the, a lot of the um, content is that 
Occasional stuff will be longer podcasts that I do. I have a podcast. I do five podcasts a week nowadays, the Fee Litter Fuck It with Bob. I have one every other week with Lori Fitzpatrick, who works at US, US to, uh, to excuse me, to TD Wire, not USA Today Wire, different company, TD Wire um, with Doug um, Farrar and covers the NFL, and she does great work. And then I have one every other week with Felix Sharp, who's with Campus to Canton. He's a Devi dynasty kind of Devi writer who do, who has owns this Campus to Canton site that that where you can do college and pro football fantasy in one team. So the, the guys you drafted college stay on your on your pro team. So that's really cool. And we, I let him basically talk about all the players that I'm not going to watch this year for the RSP, like all the younger <laughs> guys, and talk about the narratives and who they are. And we we talk about some football topics. Russ Landy, who's a former um, NFL scout with the with the Browns and the Rams, and current U.S. head of scouting for um, the Montreal Alouettes. He and I do a show every other week where we talk about the craft of scouting and watching film and kind of more team building management GM type of stuff. Um, Adam Harstead and I, who's at Football Guys, and Adam's a wonderful um, writer and just really smart dude who looks at at things in a more analytical fashion, um, but different than say Dwayne McFarlane, who he and I used to do the RSP Film and Data podcast, where Dwayne and I would get into projections and and player numbers. Really, Adam and I look at concepts like why you should blow 80% of your money on the waiver wire on one player as opposed to trying to parse it out over the space of time. Or something like he'll bring up Bray's paradox and explain to everybody what that is and why that applies to football or, or um, you know, and we'll try to apply it to both evaluation processes and what I do and and to also team building and fantasy and a lot of dynasty bent stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, in addition to that, every other, every once in a while on Fridays, I do th- something called RSP story time where I'll bring somebody on. And I have a story of a friend who's a composer who, who made a bet with Gene Simmons back in the eighties that Gene <laughs> lost in embarrassing fashion, where he basically got his comeuppance in the middle of New York city or me telling stories about my life, like stowing away on a plane in 1980s. Um, and, and, you know, being my best version of Ferris Bueller, I guess on that, <laughs> on that end. But, uh, but yeah, that's kind of the stuff that, that, that I do um, during, and during that time. And, and probably during the, during the, um, during draft season, I'll do more solo pods where I talk about the classes and have other guests on who um, who are more draft oriented at that point. And getting involved with podcasting and putting out so much content in, on the podcasting side, um, when you first started putting out podcasts, what was your experience like with that? And how did you go about making sure that you had it streamlined the way you wanted it to be? It's still not there yet, <laughs> but um, yeah, I feel I, you. I got I, you. <laughs> I, I can't listen to myself. I laugh because my my you know my wife likes my voice. I joke my my readers like my voice, and I've always known that I've had an appealing voice because of the depth of the voice. Mm-hmm. But but um, I I stutter. I use a lot of you knows. I'm not a and a, a really accomplished speaker. So I don't like listening to myself yeah, um, for the most part, but unless it's really scripted and I don't do a lot of scripted work, but I've gotten better at it over the years because I spent 
10 years doing it with Cecil and Sigmund yeah. for years. So I'm, I'm more comfortable with that. And then when I started doing my own podcast, at first there, there's some things that I did if they were solo work, I wrote it because I'm a better writer than I am a speaker. And, and my voice comes out as a writer. Um, so it, I write in my voice pretty well. And then I find that it's easier for me to read sometimes, or at least have the notes there so I can kind of hit it and it's a little bit more formed or structured. And I find that that's worthwhile when I'm doing solo work. And then it's about having good guests who who can vibe with you and cut you off and tell different stories and get you excited about what's going on. And sometimes that that's about building rapport and taking some time for that to happen. And sometimes it's just natural. You know, Mark Schofield and I are a good example. Mark Schofield, who's now the who just Start, got his gig this year as the national football writer for SB Nation. Mark and I would do a show called The Quick Game that evolved into a slow game because neither of us could could um, adhere to the short um, thing. And that was why also that was the original feel it or fuck it. But uh-huh. but I but without the without the fuck it. So um, <laughs> I thought I got to do this with somebody else who I can who would do that. And Bob obviously was a, the best choice for that. And with Football Guys and putting out content there, what kind of content do you put out with Football Guys? Sure. I mean, the it's mostly fantasy work, but it, I use a lot of film as examples. I have you know, the long-running gut check column that's, you know, over 600, I think over 600, um, you know, versions of that that I've done where I, I tend to like to explore one topic during the season or like one player a week and talk about that player or two, and usually guys who are below the radar or are considered doing really good and explain why maybe their hype's a little bit more than it should be or why they're or why they're getting panned and maybe they shouldn't be panned as much as they are, things like that. And I like to explore both it from a, a data standpoint and a film standpoint together. Um, I do, every Monday, I do something called the top 10. And what that is, is I... I take all the Twitter videos Uh, on Sunday. I watch as many games as I can Sunday and Monday. And I make little clips from my phone, put them up on Twitter and analyze what I see. And then I take those and formulate 10 different segments in the top 10 column to talk about players and why there's something significant about their fantasy value that people should know about um based on what their league type is and what the situation is and i give film clip examples as to showing why that is um so that's on mondays i've been doing that for i think about four years now um and then i run the round table or moderate the round table at football guys for the regular season football and then um on thursdays i do a piece called the or fridays i do a piece called the replacements which is it came about around COVID because I thought we need somebody, you know, we have the waiver wire, we have the injury report, but these, we know that these players are going to get tested positive for COVID late in the week. And somebody that nobody's even talking about is going to get an opportunity to play like Deion Jackson, mm-hmm. you know, even though it's not for COVID, but you know, somebody like that who yeah. will show up and you're like, so I wanted to do something where I could profile players that no one's going to be talking about. And either these are guys you should add. Now, these are players that you should preemptively pick because if they hit, you're not going to be able to afford them later and, or guys you should monitor. And if certain conditions apply, you could preemptively pick them up later. And sometimes of course, those guys wind up being big and then you get priced out of it, but at least you're learning about them 
early on. So that's the those are the columns that I do at Football Guys in addition, you know, in addition to rankings during the preseason. And then they have this thing for their draft dominator app where they do upside players, where they want you to look, they they have these little notes with players that aren't really well known yet or haven't broken out or emerged. And they're usually your late round guys with high upside. And I'll give the I'll give my thoughts on those players during the summer. Um, and you'll see those little blurbs on that as well. So that's kind of the work I do at that site in addition to the podcast there with the Audible. I was going to bring up COVID because I know it changed a lot of people's work, like situations, like, and on top of that, we weren't, you know, sure who was going to play and if there was going to even be football. Um, did you have any concerns that you, your content was going to go off the rails or you weren't going to be able to, to get it? how you wanted it to be or were you confident that during that time you'd be able to figure something out and get it out and it'd be wonderful well it's funny because like when it when covid first happened yeah. it's like well i wonder how much interested interest people are going to have in the draft and the majority of my majority of my my living now is selling the rookie scouting portfolio so mm -hmm. you know that's a year-to-year -year thing so there was some concern there and it was like should we take out the business loan that people were having, you know, and yeah. do that? And we decided not to, um, but, or we decided to, and know that we could pay it back and not use any of it unless it disaster hit. And I think that's what we did. And um, what was funny is it was the best year ever because people <laughs> were home yeah. and they were yeah. more interested than ever in stuff that was going on like this. So it turned out to be my best year at that mm -hmm. point um, up to that point. So uh, that was cool. And then the fantasy side, um, I was, once that happened, I was confident from a fantasy perspective because it was kind of like, if anything, people were going to lean more on like, what do you think? Who's this guy? No one knows who these people are. So like to me, the replacements column was a great idea for that. Yeah. And then because people would want to glue to that during the week and we still do it now, even though COVID is really not a thing as of yet, because it's starting to get cooler. Yeah, we and may have more variants of that and all that stuff. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the fun stuff we have to like <laughs> look forward to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially with all the like traveling coming up, like, mm -hmm. Okay, so talking about fantasy football in general, do you have a favorite type of league or a favorite setting? Yeah, I'm I'm a big I love redraft and I still play redraft leagues, but I most of my leagues are dynasty full IDP leagues. That's my that's my joint. It's been that way for a number of years and I'm start starting to get more and more interested in that same setting but with an IDP with a Devi component to it because it's fun to, it's fun to try and take bets and investments on players that haven't hit the league yet. So I'm in a league right now with a bunch of writers where the, it's a full IDP Devi um, dynasty league with a component where the player pool only is inclusive of players within their first four or five years in the league. Once they've passed that fourth or fifth year, depending on when you drafted them, they they become free agents that nobody can touch. They're just out of the league. So you have to pick guys early and get them to produce. 
Um, mm-hmm. And you have a, and then you have a Debbie draft where you can pick one freshman, one sophomore, one junior, one senior, um, and they stay on your team until they get drafted, or if you trade them to somebody else, and then they become part of your team for that four or five year period, depending on how late. Like the later you draft them, after a certain cutoff point, they give you an extra a redshirt year, a, a fifth year option for that player. So um, it's that's a really cool game because they're in in that league guys like i i had deon jackson last week and i and i had i started him i mean <laughs> and he was the number one pl- player i didn't expect him to do that but right. i had but you know but john you know james robinson was james robinson was my other player swift is hurt josh jacobs was on a buy i traded for those yeah. guys because i had a contender so my only other running back that i could start really who was worthwhile was either Keontae Ingram, who I really like, but I knew he wasn't going to get much, or Deion Jackson, who was getting touches. So, you know, or and sometimes you're winning without a quarterback, you know, like you could, uh, you're only allowed to have like, I think two or three quarterback, two quarterbacks on your roster. So I'm like, I'm playing Skylar Thompson. I'm mm-hmm. playing, you know, because Mac Jones is hurt. And I have a four and two team where my starters one week have been Deion Jackson and Skylar Thompson. I mean, so it's it's exciting that way to be able to pick players and go this is hard yeah. you know this is hard and these aren't you know after a while i mean it's fun to to have a league where you can score 300 points and you have i've got leagues where i've got tyree kill and mahomes and and you know, i'm loaded from player to player and you know i lost a i went i lost my first game against the guy I beat for the championship last week in Matt Batante in our football guys IDP Dynasty League. Um, he was six and he went six and oh. We were the battle of the unbeatens, and he scored 318 points. I had 299. We had loaded teams. That's fun, but it's also fun to go. I I, I think I'm 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 stuck between Keontae Ingram and Dion and Dion Jackson as a legitimate starter, and I've got to play Skylar Thompson. You know who I like, but I mean, come on, we're not thinking if I if I could pick any, you know, probably eighteen to twenty starters, I probably would pick them ahead of of, of Skylar Thompson at this stage of his career. So that's a blast. And it, like the entire time you were explaining that, I was like smiling because that sounds not like something I would do because complex leagues, even if they're not complex, they are for for little old me. But no, that sounds so cool. Like I, I really like hearing about leagues and settings and things that are just different. So you you would like <laughs> you you may not like this league, but you can appreciate it. With yeah. the guys that I used to play in my local league with, we had a we did a split off of a dynasty IDP league with some of the more um some of the folks who wanted more complex fare while still maintaining the league that we did long running. And I ran this league for a while that was a dynasty idp league where the values would literally rise and fall with each week's performance so you could buy them at a contract for like twelve dollars and then if they their production went up that there's a formula where their their price would go up and you could you could sell them at a profit and then that would make up for mistakes you made when you had to sell people at a loss. Yeah. And, the, and we analyzed all these trades and we ran that league for about five years. And it was a lot of fun when we were really into it in our, like our twenties before we had families and had commitments and, you know, we could get into that kind of thing. 
now I would have to wait till I retire to, to do anything <laughs> remotely like that. Um, and even now I'm like, I'm down to like five or six leagues at most. I was going to ask you, cause like you don't seem to have a lot of time on your hands for nah. much, uh, but what do you do when you do have time on your hands? I, I, I swim. Um, that's one thing I'm starting to get into is to try and get back into shape. So I've been swimming. Um, I play music. I play the saxophone. I play the bass. I've taken up the electric bass um, to about 14 months ago. So I'm, I'm really fortunate to have met someone through fantasy who is a, who is just an awesome LA professional who, who heard me play the saxophone and said, I'll take, I'll let you, I'll, I'll have you learn. Um, I'll take, I'll teach you bass because you can play the you can play the saxophone. I see you're serious about it. So, um, so I do that. I I play late at night. My wife is just a, an absolute human wonder on so many levels. I can't even begin to tell you. She's a she'd be far more interesting than I would as a podcast person uh, as a podcast subject. But she can sleep through anything. And the five boys who live next door to me don't hear me playing at night, which <laughs> I find amazing Yeah. Um, because I grew up in apartments and I used to have to get up mm -hmm. at like four in the morning and work at Burger King till one in the, one in the afternoon, just so that I could practice before people got home from work when I was like younger. Um, so now that I live somewhere where literally five young boys can't fucking hear me playing at two, three in the morning uh, and I can play loud and my wife doesn't even wake up. It's mm -hmm. just so I, I spend a lot of time doing that, um, you know, playing music. Um, my wife and I, you know, we watch we'll watch TV shows and enjoy talking about them and, and movies and talking about them. Like we we love Game of Thrones. We talk a lot about about that show. Um, Mad Men. We talk. She loves that show. We talk a lot about that show. Um, um, I'm trying to think of a bunch of other ones that we've done. We're going, we've gone back to watch. We just started watching all in the family because oh, we wow. grew up watching <laughs> that and went back to watching it. And that's a show that's like the office on steroids in, in terms of like the types of content and things being talked about. It would not be allowed in today's <laughs> society. It would not have gotten airtime. It would not have made it to TV. It's a brilliant <laughs> show, though. It is a brilliant show. Can't imagine like a twenty-year-old watching that right now and being like, "They'd be triggered." Oh they gosh. would be, yeah. They would be. <laughs> they'd be triggered. There's things I couldn't even imagine saying that come out of Carol O'Connor's mouth. Um, <laughs> that like you're just like wow dude and they allowed that on tv yeah <laughs> and, but the points are amazing oh, because even even like there's one i'm watching we watched last night where cleavon little from blazing saddles play and and the guy who played lamont in sanford and son i don't know half the audience is like who are these people but uh they were on you know tv later who play robbers robbing the the bunker family and and Archie wanted a gun because he was worried about these robberies and they end up staying in his house, walking in on it. And there's this whole kind of social conversation about black people and poverty. And of course the, the son-in-law who's the liberal, you know, they make fun of both the conservative and the liberal and, and like the whole liberal savior and the conservative and the person who winds up actually saving the family is Edith Bunker, the wife, who is known as 
kind of being a very innocent kind of naive mm -hmm. person on in a in character but also wise and and the most and the heart of of, of the tv characters and she touches their heart because she's the most like compassionate the most um, empathetic and um the most human and after they experience her they're like they give everything back to her and just leave because she and and the joke was is like she was going to use some he used this money that they had to buy a gun and she wanted to use it to enter a song contest and He's like, well, what are you going to do if we have robbers sing to them? And that's exactly what happens is she yeah. ends up singing to them. And the song she sang was so, it was awful, but it was so, the the beauty of the lyrics were so good that they, and after talking with her beforehand, they were like, I can't steal from these, from her. She's mm -hmm. too sweet. Like she's, we, I can't do it. It'd be like robbing my own mom. And, you know, and yeah. they, and they left. It was, it was, it was brilliant actually. Man, I okay. I know the show. I I've seen the show, but I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I it's, don't know. it's 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 worth it because it really yeah. is a great social commentary. I have on yeah crazy on just the the bigotry and the sexism mm -hmm. and the homophobia and 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 xenophobia all that fun stuff and all, all that <laughs> stuff that we that we that we still <laughs> see in our country today. Yep. But you also see. Where we're where we're heading with the ups and downs, and mm -hmm. and I think there's a real positive to be said about the brilliance of that show and the and the social commentary that came with it. You were talking about instruments. I just want to know: is there an instrument that you don't play that you wish that you did? Um, piano and drums. I, I and I have a feeling that will come down the line. I think <laughs> I think at some point, if I can if I can learn, I would like to learn to be a drummer. Um, that would be a lot of fun. Um, but that will, I might have to survive my wife for that to happen um, at, at that stage and be still in shape to be able to do it. So that's probably, the, that's probably the white whale of my, uh, of, of instruments I'd like to learn. We'll see. We'll see. Well, we're going to check back in on you and, and see <laughs> what the progress is like on that. <laughs> um, so I guess before we go, um, I do want to know though, how was if like you were in a room let's we were watching football and like how how are you when you're watching football like what are you emotional are you calm are you i know you watch film so but how how does that go yeah if we're if it as a fan yeah if i'm a fan if i'm watching football as a fan then i'll get emotional about it not as much as i used to because um one, the Cleveland Browns have wrung pretty much every bit of life out of me as a as a fan from and then moving and I tend to pick the teams that have those type of um unfortunate endings, even when I wasn't a Browns fan for a while, like the Titans with Steve McNair and one yard short and Russell Wilson and the and the Seahawks, even though they did win one. But um, <laughs> but like I tended to have I tend to pick those teams pretty well. Um but I, I can be a fan that way um, because analyzing film, it takes so much time and effort to rewind and watch things over and over again that I can react to the game that way, though I get better at seeing things the first time around because I've spent so much time doing it. Um, but I, I tend to be fairly quiet until there's a huge moment. Um, and I'm, I, I tend to just and, – and, and I find that people want to talk more during – 
a game than I would probably do. Yeah. So I know that if I'm going to watch a game, <laughs> it's a social event and I'm just going to enjoy it as a social event. And that's it. I'm not there. I don't, I'm not there to try and teach people, you know, I'm not trying to do all that. And people go, well, I would love to watch film with you. And do that. No, you wouldn't, you would hate it. <laughs> you would hate it because by, by the time we get to the end of the first quarter, you're going to be ready for, you're going to be ready to go. And, mm -hmm. and I'm like, well, I've got, you know, as Russ would tell the story, somebody did that with him and said, I really want to watch. I'd like to know what it's like to do scouting. So we'll come over on a Saturday. We're going to watch some, we're going to watch a player, a couple of players. And they get, he gets there at eight. They start watching. It's noon. He goes like, well, so where are we going to go to eat? I'm going to treat you and go. He goes, well, I got a sandwich in the fridge. I thought I'd just eat that while we continue watching more of this tape. And the guy's like, yeah, I'm out of here, man. I can't do that. You're not even done with the first half of this game. Yeah. <sighs> That's awesome, though. I'd be like, sorry, dude, I got a sandwich. What can I say? <laughs> well, you know, Matt, it's been so awesome having you here. Like, I really appreciate it. I said awesome. I said like. Okay, what else can I say? That's <laughs> filler words, baby. But no, Matt, I'm really happy that you could stop by and chat it up. Can you tell everybody where they can find you again and what you got going on? Sure. You can find me at mattwaldmanrsp.com. That's my site that usually shows you know, is the gateway to all my YouTube videos at Matt Waldman's RSP Film Room. That's the channel. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Waldman, like what's here on the on the screen. You can find me at, at Matt Waldman RSP on TikTok and of course at footballguys.com where I'm doing something at least once a day there during the week. For myself and for Matt, we will be back. Well, he will not, but I mean, <laughs> maybe one day. Um, no. For me, uh, make sure you guys come back next time for another episode of Get Real with Casey Kasem and stay rad.